Well, here we are back and ready for business. As a matter of fact, we dive right into business. There's a lot of happening inside the four rooms of Disney and Netflix. There are people moving and shifting and new business plans and honestly, things that are breaking. So what better than to talk about it in Hollywood Breaks? Enjoy the episode. Happy New Year, Keith. I can't believe we're already into the 2023 year and this is our first episode. Um, but I know. Happy New Year, finally Tim. be launching this for us. Well, we did do several, like we did like three in a row when the entire town of Hollywood was basically shut down. And so, you know, we earned a, we earned a few days off. We did. <laughs> more than that, you not only did you earn the days off, you actually took the days off, didn't you? You've been in Disney World for the last... Uh, yes. Yeah. I went to Disney World for a few days over the Martin Luther King Day weekend, and it was a fantastic trip. Um, I've always been a big Disney fan. Um, I loved going there as a kid. This was my fifth trip to Disney World. Um so uh, I had a blast. It was my first time with kids. So that, you know, was also a great experience. To oh, see your first time with your kids going to Disney? It's like a, it's yep. a very different experience when you're trying yes. to like, book the tickets and get in line and feed them choros. And Yes. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I will say this. If anyone needs a tutorial on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane, I'm now an ex- expert. So Genie please Plus. feel free to reach out. I know how to use it. I am like a ninja when it comes to it. I will say... Uh, I will toot my own little horn here. Uh, when we went to Hollywood Studios, they normally say you get two to three rides on Genie Plus. I got five, so I got I got maximum value out of my Genie Plus purchase. So, so if anyone's looking for help, now that, now that I said that, you know Disney might come to me and start you know putting a limit on my Genie Plus. But um, I, I I'm 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 quite the expert now. I was a little cagey my first day, but I eventually mastered it by the time we left so. don't you remember the days when we would just stand in line like the whole like yes and then fast passes and now like right yeah so well, then mean, stand in me, line and hang out with people and talk for two yeah, hours for me like that's how yeah that's how i grew up like all the amusement parks and it was all standing in line it was before all the fast pass lightning and stuff and the last time i was there was ugh, disney world i mean 20 years ago so this was pre fast fast pass lightning lane all that stuff so i was still just standing in line last time I was at Disney world. So yeah. when we were, when we booked the trip, my wife said to me, she's like, this is all you. She's not a huge Disney fan, but she wanted to do it for the kids because the kids really wanted to go. So she's like, you have to figure this out. I'm, I'm not, I'm not dealing with it. I don't want to try to match. So I was like on blogs. I was talking to people who had just, with, luckily we had a oh, few geez. friends. Who, <laughs> you produced, I swear, like you totally were like, Here's the well, schedule. Here's the beats. Here's what we're going to do. Well, here's the thing. So we had just had friends. We had a lot of friends who had just gone. So I got a lot of tips from them in terms of like rides that are worth it, not worth it. Um, but the other thing is one of my buddies has said, said to me who had just gone not too long ago. He said, listen, the one thing you have to understand about Disney, it's not a vacation. It's a trip. <laughs> You're not going to be relaxing. You know, it's the most magical place on earth. Yes. But it's also can be the most stressful place on earth just because of all the intricacies and and as you pointed out in the pre-show tim like there there's such a drastic difference between disneyland and disney world whereas disneyland everything's just right there like you literally walk across the the parks from uh magic kingdom over to california adventure and then downtown disney's like right there so it's all there but it met me in a world it's like there's a million different ways to train there's the monorail there's a skyliner there's buses they now have what they call minivans which is basically their version of lift like there's so many different ways and it's just you kind of have it's so much so many logistical challenges you challenges that you have to figure out every morning before you leave 
and yeah. you know figure out if you're going to take a break and when you're going to take well, the break and, my question and would be is it more hollywood breaking or hollywood breakthroughs when you went there did did the machines break a lot were you standing in lines and got kicked out <laughs> yeah i mean that I, I, yeah as i pointed out in my newsletter um this past week I, you know it's still a great place the magic place i would recommend any family who really wants to see their kids eyes light up and really see them enjoy an experience um that was my one criticism was a lot of the rides were breaking now two broke when i was standing in line one was rise of the resistance which almost crushed my son because that was the one he really wanted to ride at hollywood studios it broke more or less as we were about to get on the ride and then we had to come back luckily we were able to come it was only out for like 10 minutes so we were able to come back and get on it before we had to leave for the day but I had, there were a lot of other people who were like, yeah, I got to go. And they're like, well, here's what you can do. You can, you can take your lightning lane pass and use it on other rides, but that's the only thing we can do. And if you want to hey, refund, uh, you have to call Rise it. of the resistance yep. is worth waiting. And oh, wait. it's, it oh yes. I wouldn't wait three hours, but which is the right wait time, pretty much the entire time we were there. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it was, it's a spectacular ride. It's, it's but a, even it's the a, three hour, the way they do the line is like, I think I've been in the one hour version at Disneyland Yeah, and you're only 20 minutes into it. And the ride really starts because the experience begins and they start um, yeah. animating creatures. And then eventually they, they put humans in your way and they're transporting you between different right lines. Well, I, 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 are kind of still creative and have some. Yeah. VR. I think it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful example of what Disney does so well and what d distinguishes them from like a six flags. There, it, it's not a ride. The ride is a part of it, but it's an experience. And that's what they call it. You know, it's like booking yeah. your experience. Okay. And that's exactly what it is. And I think it's really brilliant marketing and branding on Disney's part to call it experience, not a ride, because it really is an experience. Now, are all the rides like that? No. Like the old school rides like Peter Pan, uh, Winnie the Pooh, some of the older rides are not as immersive when you're standing in line or even like Space, well, Space Mountain's a little bit more immersive, but like we had there was that i mean rise of resistance is a perfect example of that because there's there's phases and there was another ride at walt Dis at hollywood studios called mickey and minnie's runaway railroad which was a spectacular ride mm -hmm. and i really didn't uh, know what to expect when we stood when we got there but it was great there was interaction between the screen and the and the the guests the host who was guiding you through the 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 screen exploded we were watching cartoon and the screen explodes and then there's smoke and you walk through the broken screen to get onto the train i mean just so many cool little things like, like that that just make it such an enjoyable experience and i think that's what disney does so well right but, so we we need to put this disclaimer out there this is not a paid advertisement for disney world no it feels that not. way keith is pushing it but disney does want to Give us yeah, if you want to advertise, we're happy to we're happy to take. We're going to prove them right now. This is not know what Disney's not advertising it because we need to jump into what the heck's happening. That the park is one experience. What's happening? The studio is a totally different ride, isn't it? Those the studio that Disney seems to have its fingers in so many parts of entertainment that when you're experiencing it and living it, imagining what it's like, but like Avatar still hitting the ceiling and doing really awesome. The studios in a fight. The parks are having this experience. Like I feel like sometimes we are living in the Disney world when we're inside of Hollywood. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of what Disney's going through right now, I mean, anyone, if you ask, I mean, could you imagine five years ago that Disney would be having the struggles they're currently having? Now, granted, five years ago, we none of us could predict that there would be a global pandemic that would shut down all of their businesses, especially the 
parks, which is their really their core revenue driver. And I think a lot of mistakes were made in the run up to the pandemic and certainly after the pandemic. Obviously, I think one of the big ones Chapik made was he was using the parks to sort of dump cash into streaming with now really presenting a road to profitability rather than just saying we're going to make money by 2024 versus actually showing a plan of how you're going to make money in 2024. And I think they heard a lot of their, their loyalists by the park experience sort of starting to crack a little bit. I mean, I read a lot, as I said, on the Disney blogs, and there were a lot of people complaining about rides breaking down. There were there was one meme that uh, there was one video that went viral where people are on Splash Mountain and they literally have to get out of the ride because their boat is sinking in the middle of the ride. <laughs> there's, there's a metaphor and, for you right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then there was there was someone else who was on a Little Mermaid ride and they took a picture and like Ariel's tail was broken off and it was like. You know, it's yeah. little things like, and then the Disney prides it used themselves. To be like on, every light bulb worked. Like they, yeah, it was like yeah. you know, listen, and in a lot of ways, the experience is still flawless. The parks are beautiful, they're clean, the bathrooms are immaculate, which is saying a lot given how yeah, many people run people. through those. <laughs> right. Yeah, you could be like, you know, any sports stadium in the U in the world could take a lot of examples from how clean Disney's bathrooms are. Yeah. But you flip side, you take the other side of it, and you know, obviously. Um, some of our viewers may be familiar with the proxy fight that's currently going on between Nelson Peltz, who's the partner of Trini and Fund Management, and the board at Disney. Essentially, Nelson is saying Disney is not running their business the best way they can. And Bob Iger and his board are saying, wait a minute, that's not really how it's going. And you don't really know what you're talking about. So, so let's back up a second just here because yeah. it's an it's interesting thing that is happening. <clears throat> so in the Disney, you know, overall, corporate world there is like all mm-hmm. these transitions taking place and clearly the yeah. transition was one no one expected although probably a lot of people are happy it's happened are hap- yeah. happy it's moving forward right um <clears throat> but going back to Iger is clearly not something of progress so there's a lot of pressure now in the corporate yeah. world saying what is this the future of disney going to be what are we investing mm-hmm. in how do we get there but yeah. this C fund guy shows up when the stocks drop because of the transition and he scoops up a lot of shares. Basically, an right. he knows what he's going to do. He's kind of, in a way, doing a hostile takeover of his own sort of, I'm going to buy into this thing and I'm going to create a bunch of noise and move his own uh, VC fund up there. Yeah, so yeah. That, he basically started creating some noise and the Fairweather fans of Disney are now kind of trying to figure out, well, who has the better plan? You know, the Disney of the past, Iger? Or is there something we should be saying and calling out and being honest about where Disney's investments have gone and things that need to be improved in the Disney world? And that's the fight that's happening, isn't it? Right. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, Nelson is essentially saying that Disney's not doing what Disney should be doing, um, you know, and, you know, uh, uh, Disney pushed back hard on a lot of the claims that Nelson made in his Bring Back the Magic deck that he made public when he announced that he was going to push for a board seat. Um, and they pushed back a lot and saying, you don't have any entertainment media experience. You don't really understand our business model. A lot of the things you're complaining about, i.e. focusing on the parks experience, we've already started implementing, um, which they have. They have implemented some changes that you know are meant to appease some of the the changes that Chapek made that, that rubbed a lot of the Disney loyalists the wrong way. Um, so they've started to make tweaks and, you know, obviously Iger has, was only like a month or two in, and then obviously the holidays are hit. hit so he hasn't really 
dived in, but apparently the cost um, issues are, are, you know, more cost control, which is another thing that Nelson brought up is, I guess, Iger is developing a plan for that. I imagine it involves some semblance of layoffs, which is yeah, something sure. that Chapek had announced before the end of the year. So we're probably seeing that they Chapek did, I'm sorry, Iger did keep in place uh, Chapek's hiring freeze. That's still, as far as I know, still in place. So um, I think there's a lot of things that are happening behind the scenes that we don't necessarily have access to yet. Um, and there's a new board chair, uh, Susan Arm, who was the board chair was, she had reached her 15 year limit. So she is no longer on the board. Um, so, you know, that's sort of causing a little bit of a shift as well. I mean, there's a concern that the new board chair is an Igor loyalist, and he's also in charge of the succession planning, which is something that Disney has not done well over the last 30 or 40 years. And obviously, you know, Iger is selecting Chapik, which I supposedly, for as far as I understand, Iger uh, chose Chapik, that that was his choice, and, and then proceeded to sort of snipe behind his back the entire time. And that Chapik was running the show, which is never a good thing, but never a good look for a former CEO to start, you know, nail biting the uh, the previous, you know, his predecessor or his successor. So I remember um, the um, the transition of Iger. Like, if um, I remember Roy Disney, a lot of things coming up in the trades in the nineties when mm-hmm. this whole thing was going down. Yeah, <clears throat> I remember thinking um, how interesting it was that the Disney board has these somewhat adversaries even on their own board talking about what's important and at that point they were the roy i think had jumped off the board to say we want eisner out we need a new person yeah like yeah the last big proxy fight that was successful was roy disney who was walt's nephew pushing eisner out basically saying eisner's ruining the company he's ruining my my uncle's vision um and it was successful they got eisner out um and ultimately Iger was the one who was anointed to the job now there's also the mess of Michael okay, Ovitz. This one's like coming from an external source. Though. Yeah, this is more coming from hey, we're Wall source. Street. We want to get an ROI, right. yeah. the business plan. And yes. some of the some of the ideas he has of bring the magic back are, as Disney's saying, well, that's obvious. Like we we know. Yeah, that. we're already doing it. Where you know he does have some points that have merit. For example, Disney's major claim against him is that he doesn't have entertainment media experience. And it's like, well. Alex Sherman of CNBC had a really good article where he laid out and said, well, you know what? Most of your board members don't have entertainment media experience. So you might need to come up with a better argument. Not that Alex was supportive of what Nelson was pushing, but he was basically pointing out, listen, Disney, your argument there ain't going to hold a lot of water because you have a lot of executives that on your board that don't have media experience. Um, And, you know, the executive compensation, that's also a thing because not more than two days after that, um, after Disney's response, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about Jeff Morrell, who was the uh, head of communications and communication strategy under Chapik, who was kind of around during that whole floor, um, the Florida bill kerfuffle that caused a lot of problems and damages to Disney's brand. And he, the, the journal had something that he was making like $120,000 a day. And he got paid over a million dollars to move to LA and then, then back to London. And it was just, Wow. It just made it sound like they were just dumping cash on this guy and he was an absolute disaster. So there's a lot of, you know, Belts is making some points that, you know, you could see at a major board meeting when the stock has basically done this for the last couple for the last six months or so. It's recovered somewhat since Iger was um, brought back, yeah. but it's still never nowhere near where it was in its heyday. 
you could see some, you know, shareholders at this meeting being like, you know what, this guy's making some good points. Look at this, this, and this. And, you know, Disney's, I think it's going to have to come up with some better arguments because there's already people out there punching holes in their main argument against and one of the uh, pelts to be on the board is, is there was a season of Iger that was pretty amazing they're bringing on a pixar <clears throat> lucas yeah. marvel yep um one more too right but then the but um the acquisition of fox and how the fox has been handled really is yeah not playing itself out like the other yeah and you know our, our library and a lot to the promise especially in the yeah. Hulu play but Really, it's almost like no action is really taking place to turn that thing into the ROI that it, it could have been. Right. Um, and the entertainment, tra- entertainment strategy guy has a really great piece on this. He kind of went through, um, you know, Peltz's arguments and Iger's arguments and sort of laid out who kind of got, you know, who got the better end of it and who was right. Um, and you know, it, it, there's like Iger probably gets it because of the library he got from Fox. You know, he got all. He got all the now all the Marvel characters are under one roof. He got a bunch of really great franchises, and he got Avatar, which you can't argue that that's not going to be a money maker. Uh, but then he's then he brings up points like, well, there was also the regional sports network, which is part of the the agreement, the government agreeing to the deal. Disney had to agree to offload them, but by the time they did offload them, they actually didn't make as much money as they thought they were going to. And then obviously Fox Cable Networks has a lot of channels that are obviously starting to lose money because of cord cutting. So those two kind of go in Peltz's favor. And the other thing is you have to look at Hulu. Like, so what, what's going to happen there? Do they buy Hulu? And how does that look? And where does that end up? Does it end up on a Disney Plus? Because it doesn't really fit the Disney brand. So there's a lot of questions in terms of like, okay, well, you've got to figure out a lot of what, what the bigger questions that have to be answered. And ultimately, the entertainment strategy guy came by and said, well, listen, if you look at it, as he said, back of the envelope math, more likely than not, Disney probably lost money on this deal. Not a ton. Well, you know, we're talking two or three billion, which in the right. grand scheme of business is not that much. But to you and I, it's like an ungodly amount of money. But he basically says it kind of come up a wash, especially when compared with Marvel, the money, the amount of money they made on Marvel and Lucasfilm and Pixar, which were three of Iger's other big deals that we ended up being still like two, like they're just huge successes, it, right? Like. Fox was a studio that pr- was constantly producing inner content. Yeah. Now, like, yeah, the car is the only thing that's really been run through the studio that has a, any success. And there yeah. was opportunity to leverage not just the past library, but they can and they do have a roster of scripts that I don't like. It feels like they, yeah. even Disney doesn't seem to be coming out with Disney esque films. Pixar, yeah. really struggling with anything good of good content. Marvel, I don't know if they're really going to bounce back because they've commoditized so much on the on the um apple tv platform like apple plus it does i'm sorry not apple uh disney plus platform it just uh the characters are becoming strange weird tv characters instead of these feature film icons so disney needs a new landing spot and you wanted fox to kind of feed some of that fire and i feel like they've been ignoring it yeah i mean he has a great the entertainment strategy guy has a great chart which illustrates that point really well it it's a chart that shows like when i was there how many movies we were releasing a year it starts like shooting way up and then it just kind of goes like and it's like it totally drops off the ledge and you know there was sort of an internal edict that was basically like yeah 21st century foxes which they call now which i hate 20 no it's 20 cent 21st century the fox is gone is now sort of feeding hulu as sort of the original movies for hulu 
And there's obviously the avatars. But you're right. There are a lot of really great movies and franchises that do have a theatrical play. And it seems like that's being ignored. So one would argue that, yeah, you bought the library, but what are you doing with the studio? It doesn't make any sense. There's no, there's not really anything that's coming out of there other than an avatar. That's really worth it. Because you have, you imagine that all the X-Men and the Fan 4 and all that stuff, that's all going to Kevin Feige and Marvel. They're, you know, the, the Fox people aren't going to, sorry, the 21st century people aren't going to touch it. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of questions that have to be answered. And again, you know, we have to give Iger a little bit of a break here because, you know, he came in, he had like two weeks and then we all went away for the holidays and now we're back. So it's like, but he's got to get ready. He's got to, he's got to have his arguments. He's got to figure out what his plan is for Hulu. Make sure that the investors are aware of what that looks like. Brian Roberts is probably salivating because they've, he and Brian, he and Iger have had sort of this, you know, mono mono fight for quite some time since um comcast made a play for disney back in the day and he obviously the rob brian roberts ran up the price on disney for fox so you know there's obviously he's probably you know (laughs) doing his smithers like (laughs) excellent waiting for uh to see what he can do with the hulus so i mean it's it's going to be an interesting play and i think um you know listen there's no one who can't look at bob Iger's career and say okay this guy knows what he's doing it's like james jim's jim cameron you never want to bet against him even if the odds look like they're not in his favor given Iger's track record it's hard to make the argument a good team of people that have been around yes yeah yeah it feels like this is um this is really like the hollywood breaks business episode (laughs) but i i am so curious i I read the newsletter last night the founders newsletter last night and the Netflix numbers, you didn't publish Netflix numbers. You just set us up for Netflix numbers. Yeah. How do they do? What's what's happening? Is, is Wall Street crashing? Are we, are they going to, you know, fall? No, I mean, that, I mean, they, they did, they did well. Um, they had, I think, seven and a half million new subscribers uh, um, this last quarter of 2022. They were thinking around six, right? Uh, I think it was like six, right around six, I think. Um, and they succeeded that number, which is always good when you, but again, we have to remember that subscribers aren't necessarily the important number they once were because of what happened a few years ago when they totally missed this. The they lost subscribers and that you know tanked their stock. Um, I think because you know Netflix is also showing a little bit more restraint and sharing information, and and they did make some you know changes in terms of trying to control costs a little bit. I think that has helped um, appease Wall Street a little. Um, they did miss the revenue target, but only slightly. So I don't think it was enough to, to affect it. Um, their, uh, average revenue per user dipped slightly, uh, not a ton, but it'll be interesting to see how so the ad not, tier not better, but not as bad as everyone thought. Therefore not the help. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's the second straight quarter that it's dipped, it dipped like 14 cents, which is not, uh, you know, obviously not a disaster, but with the ad tier launching and we'll, you know, more information coming in about that. It'll be sweet. I think it's a number to watch and see, you know, if it, it starts to go down or if it goes up more, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. They made some, you know, the bigger. Go ahead. I was going to say this oh, their boardroom too, right? Because uh, not only Disney is a shakeup, but did they move some people around in the. Yeah. So um, Reed Hastings, who was the founder and has been with the company for since they were sending out CDs uh, or DVDs, sorry. Uh, has now become executive chairman, and the uh, the co CEO job has been handed to a guy named Greg Peters, who I guess was their chief product officer. 
um, was also a big, uh, was the guy running the sort of introduction of the ad tier um, uh, product. So he is now co-CEO with Ted Serendos. Serendos. Uh, um, and then also um, uh, Bella Bahara, who was the head of TV, uh, is now the chief content officer. And Scott Stuber, who was the head of Netflix Film, is now the chairman of Netflix Films, which is interesting. So the big question on that is, yeah, who reports to whom? Does that mean that Bella is sort of Scott's boss? Or uh, so they didn't really answer that question. So that leaves a lot up in the air in terms of how this is all going to work. And, um, it, you know, somebody else, I can't remember who it was. It might have been, I, I'm, I'm not quite remembering who made a point of it of someone I read today. So I apologize if I can't reference it, but they made a point that all of the major, some of them, all the major studios are run by former TV people. Oh, um, really if you look at, so you look at universal is run by Jeff shell. Who's a Comcast guy. Sony's run by Tony Vincicuara, who was at Fox, Fox TV ran Fox TV. Um, and then you look at, um, Amazon, uh, Jen Salky and Mike Hopkins, I believe, are, are Jen Salky at least is a TV person. And now, depending on where Bella falls on the report structure, she runs Netflix. Um, so it's in Warner Brothers is uh, Zasloff, who also was a guy who came from TV. Uh, Bob Iger, as most people don't remember, was actually at ABC. He's yep. never really run a studio. So it's kind of interesting that now there's really no like, film exclusive well, person it, it now, does explain the media landscape though doesn't it like that yes it does the television pipeline is constant uh, small bites feed it out there yeah. kind of always yeah. keep creating when film is project by project investments exercise or execute the investments and then yeah. see dis distribution and butts in the seats very different principles and it the consumption really does seem to fit more of a TV model. So, but it is interesting that though it feels like the whole industry is weighted now inside of that model. Where will films pop back up? Will films have its well? That's my one hope. My one. My, um, this is my glass half full analysis of the new changes at Netflix. That that Bella's role is a content officer, and Scott Stuber is film. So maybe is that mean that we're going to have a separate like film and content are going to be two separate things now? I mean, that would be nice because then we are obviously establishing what a film is and a movie is now versus what's just content. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I mean, that would be somewhat of a positive development as far as I'm concerned. But again, we don't really have any real information on that yet. It's still, they kind of left that door wide open. Everybody's asking the question, oh, what's the report structure? <laughs> but I don't think anybody's really announced what that looks like yet. So it's so interesting. We're we shall see. When trying to think about like what's the opportunity that's coming through Hollywood, if you're a, a new creator wanting to put something out there, what are you pitching and how do you, you know, get that mm -hmm. content made and approved? You want to kind of know well who's in charge, what's what's their bias and how do I play into that bias if I'm developing a script or an idea? Where does that really come yep. from? And this idea that Hollywood breaks apart, it actually you know crumbles in certain areas to create new opportunities for a younger group or a new technology or something else that kind of comes in and, and slips into its place. That's mm. entertainment has that always evolving, I don't know, appetite to find something new. Um, the studios have to keep up with it. So it's when these pivots take place, you're right. It 
you know, who, who even knows what their vision was when they created these titles? The question is, is what's going to actually play out? Do we get yes. or does one get squashed and we get um, certain ideas? Helped? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it has it has almost the because the uh, it has almost like a bake off feel to it. And what I mean by bake off, I, I, I'm, I'm talking about Jeff Bukes uh, um, back when he um, took over Warner Brothers, um, uh, Time Warner. After Richard Parsons retired, um, he basically set a bake-off at Warner Brothers between um, the head of the studio, uh, the head of TV, the head of home entertainment, and the head of the actual studio. And it's like, who okay, who's going to be running? Who's going to be running Warner Brothers? And it was sort of like a bake-off. And ultimately, Kevin Tushahara went out, and then we you know, all know how that ended. Um, but uh, it, it, this kind of has a feel that it might be like, okay, well, let's see how Stuber and Vela do in terms of, you know, running the show here. And then maybe one of them will be anointed the next, you know, CEO, but it, 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 it remains to see how this is all going to play out, but you're right. It's, it's very interesting. And, um, you know, we'll see how, how, what the next few months bring, but. Well, we didn't get to talk about the uh, garbage globes. I mean, the golden globes. Uh, well you can uh, talk well i wrote a little about that in newsletter so if you really want to know what what happened with the globes you can read my yeah. newsletter well i mean it, you know it's such important they had to interrupt tuesday night television to have the globes. i know but, right no and, and, and a major interruption to the pipeline to cover the you know the yeah, a, a full six million people watched it so you know uh, kudos then, to the globes for you know hitting the lowest number ever <laughs> Well, and the Globes, as we know, it's like the mix of film and TV. It's really the constellation yes. of stars across the, the and if right. that's getting six yeah. million views, clearly the celebrity, just seeing celebrities in one place, laughing at jokes, whatever, that whole phenomenon's gone away. So, yeah, I mean, I still kind of enjoy that. As I wrote in my newsletter, I like to look to see where, who, what executives are there and like who's mingling with who, but I mean, that's such an inside baseball thing. Um, you know, for the average year, it's just the same old, same old, like you announce awards, you're, you know, people walk up and blah, blah, blah. I mean, like I said, you know, the Jennifer Coolidge moment, her acceptance speech, and when she came out to give an award, she was hilarious. She was sort of rambling, but at the same time, funny and just not, it wasn't so scripted. And that's what's so great about the Globes because people go off script because one, they're drinking, so they're a little looped. And it's just it's just the reputation of the globes. It doesn't have the why so serious mode of the Academy and the Oscars. It's just like let's have fun, let's have a party, and we'll shoot, we'll film it. But the problem is they haven't reinvented the wheel. Nobody's into war show anymore, and they're just kind of trying to do the same thing over and over again. It's just not enough. It's and there's not, not even and, a good enough uh, monologue from a Ricky Gervais that plays itself out. Yeah, exactly. That, the Ricky Gervais for two weeks, like yeah, the Ricky Gervais video from what four or five years ago is still viral. People it's still, still viral. it still pops up in my feed. I know that last like two minute diatribe when he's just like you know you know bleep off and thank you God and whoever and get off the stage. Yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, it's it you know that's but that's Ricky and that's what made him so special and that's what made the Globes the Globes. But that's not going to happen, I don't think, unless they really reinvent the format and. I know hopefully they'll do it because I think they are the award show that can do it. But um, I, I don't foresee that, that in the, in, in the near future. Yeah. Unfortunately. Well, it's good to have you back breaking Hollywood with me once again. Yes. Thank you for our 2023 year. Um, for all that you've been, uh, that our fans that watch us, we appreciate you giving us this two weeks off so we can catch up on the things <laughs> we need to do and give Keith this chance to perfect the genie plus app. So yes. Now, um, Beyond. Italian, re 
Reach out if you need any advice. I'm happy to give you tips. It's not just content <laughs> consulting anymore. Now it's Genie Plus consulting, which you might really yeah. be a new business. I probably me. should. I mean, there are a lot of there are people who charge to like plan a Disney trip, but I, I don't know if I could do the whole thing. I'm really good with Genie Plus and the My Disney Experience app. So that's what I'm really good at. So Just make sure you update, uh, you update your Vision Craft Brew website to include that Genie Plus. I will. I will. I will. And you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll shoot a note to Bob Iger and be like, "Here are my quick tips for Genie Plus. Feel free to Only share them." One hundred twenty thousand dollars a day. I will be happy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you pay me one hundred twenty thousand dollars a day. I'll plan a, a million Disney trips if you'd like. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good to see you. Happy New Year. Good to see you. Happy New Year. See you next week. See you next week.